Hi, I'm Michael Azarad, Editor-in-Chief of The Talk House, and welcome to The Talk House Music Podcast. Slater Kinney guitarist and Portlandia co-star Carrie Brownstein's new memoir, Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl, is getting tons of great reviews. And no wonder. She's one of the more thoughtful and well-spoken and funny musicians you could hope to meet. That's plain to hear on the other Talkhouse music podcasts she's done, one with former Walkman frontman Hamilton Lighthouser, and another with Black Keys drummer Patrick Carney. Carrie's book tour kicked off on October 27, 2015, at St. Vitus, the beloved metal bar in the Greenpoint section of Brooklyn, where she had a public conversation with another incredibly thoughtful and well-spoken musician, Questlove of The Roots. Questlove happens to be an acclaimed author, too, having published Mo Meta Blues, The World According to Questlove, earlier this year. The event for Hunger Makes Me a Modern Girl was produced by the very cool Word bookstore mini-chain, with stores in Greenpoint and Jersey City. Word gave the Talkhouse permission to record and air the conversation. Thanks, Word! Carrie and Questlove might come from different backgrounds and make different kinds of music, but from reading each other's books, they realize they have a whole lot of things in common, as you're about to hear. And so, without further ado, authors Carrie Brownstein and Questlove in conversation for the Talkhouse Music Podcast. Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming. Um, I'm going to read for one and a half minutes. <laughs> By the way, Amir, do you want to sit or stand when we do this? Sit? Do you know? No? Uh, you okay. You should stand and do it like it's a show. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. This is the only event like this where it's in a club. It feels very much familiar to both of us. Uh, no restroom backstage. Very humbling. Okay. <clears throat> this is from, uh, hopefully you won't cry during this. Please don't. It's not supposed to be sad. This is... No spoilers. Okay. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Sorry, one and a half minutes. I've gone over. Um, thanks. <laughs> we arrived in Paris to play two shows, opening for Sonic Youth. A bit timid after the humiliation of the previous day, we started our set the first night feeling beat down, like we had to fight our way back. It took about half the set for my confidence to return, for the music to move through me without getting tripped up on the interlopers of doubt and nerves, to know the sound belonged within me. My friends James and Ian from the Washington DC band, the makeup, showed up with a small entourage of Parisians. They invited us to a party, I tried to convince Corn and Janet to join, but they weren't up for a late night. In the end, it was, our, it was only our sound guy, Juan, and I who ventured out. We arrived at a high-ceilinged apartment, sparsely decorated, save for two large wall mirrors and neon artwork atop the mantel. There were a handful of men milling around, drinking wine and smoking. There were only two other women present, who I assumed to be friends of the host, but who I was told were actually call girls. <laughs> As music played on the stereo speakers and dancing ensued, the atmosphere turned Dionysian. I sat on a sofa watching bodies become more entangled, turning from angles and lines to squiggles and waves. I mentally rifled through the files of my Olympia experiences to find the right protocol for this situation. 
a futile exercise. Then I thought of the left bank in the early 1900s about expats, Gertrude Stein, Pablo Picasso, Duna Barnes, Colette. But this was a situation where knowledge was no match for experience. I wanted to come across as insouciant. I was in a rock band. I was on tour. I was at a sexy soiree in Paris. But I couldn't even figure out what to do with my face. <laughs> I held my expression perfectly still, trying to appear neither overly curious nor mildly shocked. I soon realized the tension in my jaw was forming a grimace. In the end, all I could manage was the kind of shoulder dance moms do when they make, <laughs> when they make shrimp scampi in the kitchen while drinking, <laughs> while drinking white wine and listening to Bruce Hornsby. I shimmied right out of the room, exited the apartment, and took a taxi back to the hotel. Should we sit? Yeah. Who's this C for? I don't know, Elijah. Okay. okay. Um, it's so weird. I'm so much less nervous, like just extemporizing, than I am reading. Like my voice is like, during the reading. And now I'm fine. So that's a good thing to remember for the rest of the tour. <laughs> Does this feel like a, a poetry reading or something? Yes. Like, it was the cold winter? Yeah. No. Um, okay, well, let me start by saying that uh, I'm really honored that uh, you uh, requested me. Um, well, yeah, without making this self-promotional about me, like, I, when I was given this assignment, uh, I was like, no, not me, and then... I thought that it was like one of those things where like your agent calls someone's agent or whatever. Like I never assumed that you knew I was alive or whatever, but this is when I read the book. Um, and again, without spoiler alerting it for all of you, I'm trying to figure out like how to ask her questions without like giving away all the good parts and the secrets and everything. Let's spoil everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was, it's, like, I don't know if we, like, grew up in the same neighborhood, if we would have been best friends, but I definitely know that we're the same person. I know. Have, have you read Amir's book? Have you read Mo Meta Blues? It's... No one's read that. Anyway. No. Well, yeah, I felt like it was a companion. Like, it's... midway through it, I was like, holy crap, I wonder if Carrie knows this is, like, the companion piece to my book. I know. It's, un it's uncanny. We have so many similar experiences it's very strange. And then the first thing we talked about when we got downstairs that was that we're both watching the show The Affair. And we were like, yeah. just... <laughs> <laughs> but the, the aspect about it that we both noted was that it's frustrating sometimes to suspend your disbelief because they're, it's, they're both British. And it's just like... <laughs> yeah, no one, no one knows the pain of... Uh, because I work on a late night talk show. Whenever the actor comes out and there's a British accent... Like today, uh, Stephen Moyer from True Blood was on, and he hasn't like he. I didn't know he was British. I know. I didn't know half half of the Wire is British. I know. It's the same guy, Dominic West. Yeah. He's yeah. infiltrated American television. In and I'm not that mad. Like every American celebrities are now like reality show I celebrities know. and they're actors are. Take... They're keeping it classy. Are you, thank you. <laughs> That's good. Um, okay. So I've, I've, I've never curated a, a Q&A before. Usually I'm on that side. 
So Well, I have read your book, so I will toss it right back to you. You can be on this side. Okay. Well, it's sort of like a conversation. <laughs> okay. But um, I guess the first thing uh, I should ask you uh, that I've been dying to know, um, what is it like being an all-female group? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> No, okay, okay. Um, when I when I when I realized your your resistance to titles and everything, I started to wonder, and I started recapping all the documentaries I've seen, and the one common factor uh, that musicians that are documentary worthy, or whatever, is they always go away from the tag, like. I've done many an interview where I was like, well, yeah, we're not neo-soul. And I've seen interviews where, you know, hard rock groups are like, well, we're not metal. We're not, you know, we're not. It's never like what we are. Like, groups never def- want to define what they are, but then it's like what we're not. So why was it important for you to not take on any tag or title or? I know yeah, that's a dumb no. question anyway. Like, no, that's it? a that's a great that's a great question. Well, no, no I mean the question of what's it like being in a female band? Like, oh no, I mean that's a. Great did they question. really ask you that with a straight face? Like, with a, a very straight face, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, that is a weird question, but your question is is not weird, and and it's an interesting one because I do think I I think you just want an allowance to define yourself, even in that if that process, and it can be contrarian and circuitous, you actually come back to realizing, well, yeah, I guess we are just that. Um, but you, I think everybody wants to be able to sort of define oneself. I feel like that's part of the process of creativity or to feel that it's mutable. You know, it's, it's like once somebody tries to sort of like lock you down, you, you know, you, you get restless and you think, I mean, in, in some ways, that's not bad. That restlessness can be what pushes you to the next thing. But I also think a lot of musicians, they're, you know, like the instinct is to kind of push against. It just seems like, you know, and, and almost easier. And a lot of people, I think, start out pushing against and being sort of counter to that when you finally, someone's like putting definitions in your face, the first reaction is to be kind of, Defensive, but I think after time, don't you feel like you start to realize, like yes, we we are those things deep down inside. Uh, especially when I, the time that I don't feel like defining or or usually, uh, we're we're the type of group that will get on the first thing flying. So uh, usually we're on a plane at six in the morning. So usually, you know, if you're off stage at two, lobby calls at four. I mean, the last thing you want to do while you're sitting down is engage in a conversation, and you know, and usually it's that point where it's like, you know, so what's to me like a real or like what kind of band are you guys? And then that's when I'm like, oh, you know, we're we're a neo soul band, you know. Yeah. And like, we're, fake, yeah, like, I'm and like we're an all-girl punk band. <laughs> right, right. <exactly. laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> yeah. No, but, I, it's t- it's tedious on both sides. It's tedious to over-explain, and then it's, yeah, you, you kind of acquiesce. Okay, so do you think, by nature, do you feel as though musicians that are in this position, that we're sort of saboteurs by nature? Not saboteurs by nature in, in the fact that we're denying what is obviously there, the white elephant in the room, but 
do you just feel as though we overthink things? That's the one thing I'm always accused of. And every one critic made me mad, and I was actually angry that he 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 said that uh, he said the problem with listening to Quest uh, Quest Love's music, like his production or whatever, is that you know he's creating it dreaming about what his Wikipedia entry is going to be for this particular record. And I was like, that motherfucker. And then I was like, he's right. Yes. Well, and as... So do you feel like, you know, is that a thing of overthinking it or do you... Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say musicians in general, but I myself as a I'm an overthinker. This is something we have in common. And I think sometimes when you're two steps ahead of yourself or you're kind of in this meta dialogue with oneself, it's really stifling. Mm-hmm. And and then you are the kind of person that can't just go with the flow. I've never gone with any flow. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, I'm, I wouldn't describe myself as easygoing in that way because I'm, I am kind of pre-planning and, and analyzing and I'm sort of aware of those things. I liked in your book how you <laughs> wrote you, um, Reads, read a lot of Rolling Stone reviews when he was young, mm-hmm. and when the Roots would make a record, he would design the the Rolling Stone review in advance. Guess what I did this morning? Really? <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, I, I did. <laughs> well, okay, I, I want to take it to the beginning. Um, well, can I ask when you when you create anything artistically, are you thinking uh, again without spoiler alerting? Um, she she goes in glorious detail about her relationship with music uh, and art in general uh, from a very young age. Vivid detail of you know of her first experience with various acts and you know I'm trying not to give it away. Um, so, do you often find yourself creating stuff, hoping in a meta way that? You know the the fourteen year old you that discovers that record store. Like, if that would be the record, like, would you think like your your albums would be the records that would be recommended to fourteen year old you when you're in that record store shopping? And like, do you create it for the fan in you, or are you just at the moment purging whatever? Yeah, I think there's more deliberation than than the process of purging. I. I do think that potentially, I guess I've never thought of it before because I, I do find that considering the outside expectations and that kind of chorus of voices and like making or doing work by committee can be really um, cumbersome. And, you know, when people's expectations or people have a certain set of expectations of who you are and what kind of music you make to try to, you know, adhere to that can be very detrimental. But I guess that there is a part of me, and I think I share this with, with Corin and Janet, and, and definitely with Fred on Portlandia, where we think of a fan, and I think in, in some ways that fan is our younger selves, and, and, and hoping for an eagerness uh, and, and a, an openness and a willingness to embrace something and to feel moved. And I think you kind of do have to put yourself, or at least I have to put myself somewhat in that place, because it, it allows, I guess, an earnestness, because I know how important it is to 
to feel recognized or to hear yourself in something and think this is speaking for me. That, that does feel important. I think that does bring me back to, to writing and do you? Yeah. I <laughs> okay. feel the same way. Um, <laughs> this is well, going to be all night. The same way, same way. <laughs> I'd, I'd like you to share, uh, could you share a musical experience that you had when you were younger, like your either your discovery of Madonna or Wham or I no. personally discovered Madonna. It was incredible. Um, but you know what was so analogous, and I'll stop with this analogy stuff. But your Prince journey and my Madonna journey were very neck similar. Neck and neck, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they were. Um, yeah, Madonna. I wow. I mean. Culturally, she she hit pretty hard with like a virgin. That was really the album. Um, I think it was eighty four, maybe. So you was, were ten, right? Yeah, so I was ten. Oh, yeah. Um, I was someone that put up a lot of posters on my wall, and I would cut pictures out. There were these teen magazines. I think there are still these versions of teen magazines, but there was like sixteen and Bop and Teen Beat. They're still there, I think. Okay. Good. Just one direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're just, right, all yeah. one direction. Um, so I would cut out. Also, I had really weird things like picture, pictures of Dennis Quaid and Mel Gibson. Professional. Um, okay, that's what yeah. I was waiting for. Tell me what's not in the book. <laughs> yeah, that's not in the book. My my Mel Gibson obsession. <laughs> it's weird that got left out. Um, but I just was really, you know, I really was very completist about about certain actors or performers and just really projected myself into this world of of performance and display and TV, movies, music. But Madonna was someone I had a lot of pictures of. And I remember sitting on my bed and crying to my mom because I wasn't going to be friends with Madonna, <laughs> which she had to tell me. Like, I just thought, I thought, well, this might be a possibility. It wasn't, and we're still not friends. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you ever met Madonna? I'm not, I have not even met her. I mean, really? It, that doesn't, you have, right? Yeah, come on. Well, I could top you one more. You, She's kind of my manager. Oh, right. Yeah. You're I'm, just, I'm under Maverick yeah. now, so. Shit, <laughs> well. No, I'm playing, I'm playing. I'm <laughs> if you want to drop the mic, you can. Uh, in my head, I dropped the Afro okay. pick, so. Um, no, I, I got to. Uh, it was. Yeah, you have stories about meeting Prince. She was great. And no, no, no. She, so, she's. Uh, is she cool? Ah, <laughs> uh, nah, see, he's, see the smile. He's too eager to put this on social I know. media. <laughs> yes, she is cool. Next question. Yeah, that's what I thought. Well, do you do? You, I found it. Uh, even though, especially now, I'm totally immersed in put in positions in which I've met all my heroes. Um, and I kind of had a rule maybe 15 years ago to never meet them. You know, some people now are like, oh, Mary, you're so standoffish and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, only because I always felt like never meet your heroes because they'll disappoint you, so... I mean, would you still want to meet her, or is this an offer? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. I'll call I, right I, now. I, 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 you just want to complete. How amazing would it be if Madonna came out right now? It would just be like, 
This would be the night to end all nights. Um, I, I, would... I totally know what to get you for Christmas now. <laughs> that would be so weird if she showed up at my house on Christmas. Um, and, and... What was the address again? Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I, I kind of feel the same way about... I mean, you have a great um, part in your book about meeting Prince and saying something, which is actually a great thing that you told him, a compliment, but that you were... Yeah, it was just weird, it was... though. It was awkward. Like, yeah. it was... I, it's the first moment like now I'm actually cool with him which is like that's weird but in the beginning every weird thing that you ever felt about meeting Prince was happening at that moment you know cause like Q-Tip just kinda ambushed me like pushed me over cause okay I'm glad you put the phone away thank you thank you I mean he's you know, what five one five two um, so I missed him, and <laughs> then Q-Tip just pushes me to him, like, yo, I want you to be the... <laughs> and that's when you couldn't call him anything. Uh. And... That's ironically, like, the most narcissistic move you can ever do. Yeah, you, uh, yeah. nothing. Yeah. yeah. And so I was just, in my head... Like, I'm sure that you have super fans that, like, I'm sure that someone's come up to you and said, like, you know, there, there, there might be, a, a, like, a, like, a Joey Ramone outtake or something on, like, you know, I have the, the Japanese B-side live version of, you know, of, and that's always the, you know, I'm a bigger fan than you are. Like, yeah. you know, they always say... Oh, I have this particular, you know, like, just to prove. Um, I'm not discouraging that, but I can tell, like, I mean, I prefer the, hey, how you doing, versus the, you know, I got to show you my pedigree. But um, I became that person with him, and I was trying to think, like, what's the most super fan thing I could say? And I, I, I picked the most obscure song and said, like, you know, uh, Dinner with Dolores has, has one of the greatest postmodern rock endings of all time and just the silence of like tip and Lenny Kravitz was there and Quincy Jones was it was silence and then I what was it called an Irish exit where you just back out yeah yeah and that's what I did so I'm I don't know if you want to meet your heroes yeah, no I I agree I actually um I'm went to a Grace Jones reading. I say the term reading loosely because she she didn't read. She, um, Did she which get was, on the hula hoop? She didn't do that. I know oh, that she okay. does that live, but you yeah. know, I was really excited to um, hear her talk and I actually thought, well, maybe this will be informative for my book tour. Um, but anyway, she didn't end up doing a reading and she did a signing. And when I got up to her, I didn't know what to say, so I just said, good luck at the end. <laughs> and I was just like, Grace Jones, well, yeah, good luck. Good luck with your career. <laughs> I, you know, I hope it's a long one. And I hope when you're 60, in your 60s and still look amazing that people still love you. It was just, it was so embarrassing. And so if I can't handle that, which wasn't even, that was just me going through a line. Like I shouldn't, there's other people I definitely should not meet. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to try and make it happen though. Okay, thanks. <laughs> we'll write a book about your dinner with Carrie Madonna. Carrie meets Madonna. It's like a children's book. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I, I don't want to be too greedy. I'm going to uh, 
kind of Q&A it so that you guys can ask some questions as well. Um, however, I do want to know one thing. I mean, of course, well, actually two things. Uh, and I was one of those people that read um, Grell Marcus's uh, proc- proclamation in, yes, in time. In time. Mm-hmm. She's the greatest rock band of all time. How did you feel at that moment? And then did that put more pressure on you afterwards to live up to? It was such a surreal moment. So basically... Uh, yeah, I didn't set up the story. I'm a, I'm a horrible... Uh, no, no, that's okay. I, okay. And you tossed it to me and I'll set it up. Um, okay. Uh, in, I think, 2000, mm-hmm. was, um, yeah, Time it was. Magazine, which at the, to- at the time um, was um, a well... Um, a, no, I mean, but we all know print and people, that's not a shocking statement. It was, you know, at the time, people read more print media and people definitely read Time and Newsweek. They were like a preeminent um, news magazine. Wait, I love that you're explaining to them what Time Magazine is. I don't know how old like, people are Boys here. and girls, there's a periodical named Time. No, Time Magazine's a known thing. Listen, I mean. Okay. Well, we won't take it for granted. It's before Snapchat. Well put. Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, it was a big deal. So Grail Marcus, they surveyed all these people. What's the greatest this or that in America? Grail Marcus, uh, music critic, says Slater Kinney is the best rock band in America. Um, we <laughs> we were in uh, we were in Scotland and uh, we heard the news <laughs> and. Um, so it's all, it's always strange. I think that a lot of things happen when you're on tour in different countries, and it, it, so that already creates this strange disconnect because you realize this thing's happening back home. You have no sense of how it's, you know, permeating the culture, whether people are talking about it. Um, Bryant Gumbel, who was the host of a morning show mm-hmm. at the time, not even I know you guys all know who that is. Um, he held up the magazine the next day and was just like, "Who is this band?" and <laughs> And that's kind of how we felt. We, it was that imposter syndrome of feeling like, well, y- y- thank you. And this is so validating in the sense that, you know, when your parents, like, they can finally, like, clip something out and, like, show it, frame it in their office. So when someone comes in and my dad's like, yes, Carrie's in a band, he can point at that. It, like, it, it, it has that kind of validation, I think, mm-hmm. on this sort of familial level where you really... I think in some ways you're grateful that you're, you're, there's like something palpable and that legitimizes you to a certain set of people where this job you do is sort of ineffable for a long time and kind of hard to explain to their friends. So, but the contrast is that, you know, two days later we were back home um, in Portland and all our gear arrived via cargo and we went to pick it up in our van and we drove it back to Janet's and it's just the three of us and we just lo- loaded all of our equipment down these precarious stairs into this tiny basement. And I was like, this is us. We're the best rock band in America. <laughs> it's, it's like a check and balance, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think, I mean, that's, I mean, something that I think people, that you always look, you know, this sort of through the looking glass experience where you're looking on at this, someone else and you're thinking, man, they made it. This must feel so great. And there is part of you that does feel great. And then there's a part of you, you, it's just hard to estimate, you know, sort of how someone's life has changed or not changed. Um, Sometimes those are very tiny, tiny steps up. When when we won uh, our Grammy, next day, no, 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 no. Let the punchline come. Uh, Well, okay, it wasn't like out of 
it was more neglect than poverty. That, was that for Things Fall Apart? Yeah, we won our, fir- uh, our first That's, Grammy, and I got I home the next day. I have studied this. this your baby. I got home the next day, and my electricity was cut off. Oh and so it was like me in line, like begging for them, to, like just the whole process of getting my electricity turned back on. Oh my gosh! I like especially in light of this is supposed to be my yeah. shining moment, and there's no electricity in the house. Yeah, I uh, season two of Portlandia. The night it aired, I was sitting in um, one of those like drivers programs that you have to go to if you get a ticket. Mm-hmm. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Oh, season two. Yeah. I was sitting there, and so it wasn't like season one where no one knew. Like, I was just sitting there. I wore glasses. Like, I really wore a disguise. I was just like, this is so embarrassing. Like, my show is premiering tonight, and I'm taking a traffic class. Wait, now we're going to take it back full circle. Was it like in the affair when he had to go through the same process? Yes. Nice. That's what it's like. That's what it's like. Yeah, it's that those experience. I like those kinds of experiences. I I I don't live for them because they're really embarrassing. But they're also, I mean, I think that perspective, that feeling grounded, and you know, is is not a bad thing (laughs) to move through life. So it humbles you. I think so. One moment you're on top of the world, and the next moment you're in drivers. (laughs) Yes, I see. And that's it for this edition of the TalkHouse Music Podcast. The TalkHouse would like to thank Molly Templeton from Word for helping to make this happen, and Julian Silva from St. Vitus, who ran sound and was incredibly helpful. And thanks to TalkHouse Music Podcast producer-engineer Elia Einhorn for turning it into a podcast. For more TalkHouse Music Podcasts, including Carrie Brownstein's talks with Patrick Carney and Hamilton Lighthouser, by all means visit our SoundCloud page, or subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And to read smart, notable musicians writing about new music, please do visit thetalkhouse.com slash music. Ladies and gentlemen, Hunger makes me a modern girl. Stores now. Thanks Thank for you, coming. Thank you. Thank you to Questlove. Thanks, guys. All right. And it ended the right way with feedback. That's great. <laughs>